This is The College Try, the first in a series of interviews with remarkable American undergraduates. The College Try is produced at Bedrock Educational Consultants, where academic freedom lives in Vietnam. Join us as we explore Western thought in service of liberal education in the East. I'm Adam Thompson, Bedrock Fellow and editor of the podcast. In January, I spoke with visiting fellow John DeGravio, a sophomore at Williams College. In John's first year at the school, he founded the Williams College Society for Conservative Thought. Now in its second year, the society has attracted bipartisan interest and administrative support on an otherwise mostly political uniform campus. John's efforts were recognized by the New York Times in a profile published November of last year. In our conversation, John describes his first impressions of Vietnam, the value of Western classics and liberal education, and how he's been successful creating a space for viewpoint diversity at Williams. For his grave crime of attending college in the Northeast and not learning to ski, I began by shaming John about his lack of winter outdoor thrill-seeking. As someone who goes to school in Massachusetts, I actually don't ski. So, so uh, Before you graduate, are you going to get out there on the slopes? I, I guess I should. I, I've, I've been told that if you go into business or uh, <laughs> finance or anything like that, it's uh, one of the skills that, that might come in handy. Kind of like golf. Along with golf. Yeah. Um, that being said, I've, I've tried ice skating and uh-huh. uh, haven't had much success with that after maybe five or six trials to this point. So I, I guess I guess moving on on ice may, may not be one of the things that I'm... <laughs> so, so what is it about being from Texas that bars you from all these winter sports? Is it just <laughs> I don't know what it could be. Maybe, maybe the climate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, first of all, welcome to Hanoi. Uh, you've been here for about 36 hours. Uh, what are your first impressions? This is a place really, really teeming with life. Um, and as someone who's never lived in a city before, it, it really is an incredible experience to just walk out of your room and and see streets and sidewalks and buildings and, and, and people um, just absolutely engaged in every aspect of life. It, it, it really is exciting. Absolutely. And so you're from Austin, Texas, right? That's right. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, and your, your, your educational background. Sure. So uh, growing up, I went to uh, private Catholic schools mm-hmm. um, from the fourth grade um, up until the, uh, I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely foundational part of, of my identity, uh, my worldview. Uh, very small schools, both of them. A very strong sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are things that I might have taken for granted at the time. Um, but after doing a, you know getting to know the world a little bit more and seeing new things. Uh, I really appreciate the uh, the structure um, and and the identity that a smaller school and, and particularly say a, a Catholic education gives you. I've found that to be very helpful. What was the name of your school? I went to Holy Family Catholic School and then Saint Dominic Savio Catholic High School. All right. Well, shout out to Holy Family and uh, Saint Dominic Savio. <laughs> um, and where do you find yourself now? Uh, I'm a sophomore at Williams College. Studying? Uh, I haven't declared a major yet, but probably history. Okay. One of the nice things about going to an open liberal arts school, you can wait a little bit before declaring. What other uh, domains, intellectual domains, are you playing with right now? Even though I just finished the fall semester of my sophomore year, um, I've taken classes in a lot, a lot of subjects, and only two history classes, <laughs> which is, again, one of, the, one of the great things of a school like Williams. Um, uh, this past semester, I took religion and the state, uh, modern political thought, a survey of uh, the uh, fo- the foundational political works, all the way from Machiavelli to Nietzsche, um, and 
in, in political philosophy, I think I've found a, a really important interest to me. Um, it's a way, it, between the study of, of history and the study of political philosophy, uh, you get exposed to so many ideas that take you out of um, the present, the present time and place in which you exist and, and think about things from, from a much broader perspective, um, which I found to be very, very valuable. And, and um, as some people might find it unlikely to be applicable as well um, um, in, in just finding unique solutions to things, sort of, sort of thinking outside the box. And how are you applying uh, your education in political philosophy and history uh, to other, other realms of academic life and campus life at, at Williams? Uh, right. So my freshman year, I founded a student organization, uh, which is dedicated to promoting academic freedom, uh, diversity of thought, um, and uh, uh, principally to exploring the, uh, the works and philosophies of, of Edmund Burke and Russell Kirk. Um, amidst a college curriculum um, where these ideas and, and, and certain ideas have a tendency to be to be under underrepresented. Um, and that, that's been a really central part of my experience is, is uh, developing my own knowledge and f- familiarity with uh, sort of the conservative intellectual tradition, as it would be referred to, and then also introducing so many other students at Williams uh, to that to that intellectual path. Why do you think it is that we don't see more opportunities for students to learn about the fundamental uh, conservative intellectualism uh, that has so marked American history um, and the history of the West? Uh, Why isn't that more popular at campuses across the country? Well, to be fair, um, in my conversations with Williams alumni, uh, who have spanned many decades at the college, all the way from the 1950s until now. Um, the conservative intellectual tradition of political thought was never really an integral part of the curriculum. And at most, it was sort of an ancillary course here or there. Um, and to some extent, that has to do with the history of conservatism in America. It really wasn't an emergent political force until after uh, World War II. Um, and so in that way, was was never an integral part of the curriculum, as say, you know, uh, Machiavelli or Rousseau or Locke. Um, that being said, at a time when the liberal arts are uh, being called into question um, by a variety of social forces, um, when intellectual diversity is being called into question, and 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 when uh, what we might say um, postmodernism, secularism different strands of progressivism are really dominating the university, I think that there is great value in exploring this uh, particular conservative intellectual tradition, uh, maybe perhaps now more than ever. We talked last night again at dinner about um, how very much like uh, people used to uh, cook their food and clean their utensils, um, that was for a very good reason, even though people didn't understand what germs were. Maybe uh, similarly, uh, some of these more traditional values that we have uh, cultivated over millennia as as humans uh, also serve some purpose far beyond our comprehension uh, at present. But um, yeah, so I think having that perspective, I, I mean, certainly I, I find that valuable. So what kind of value uh, can that perspective provide students who are so ensconced in sort of a left of center uh, campus politic right and and, and um, there's a lot of discussion on campus um, among alumni among, among administrators leaders in academia about the liberal arts 
um, and the role that it should play in a rapidly evolving society. And um, I, I, I see the liberal arts as being, or in fact, the enterprise of education as being inherently conservative to some extent, right? Because all knowledge is usually built upon former knowledge. Um, and, and, and the modes of inquiry, the way we think about things, are built on those that came before us, or are built on antecedents. Mm-hmm. Um, and by not giving proper attention or consideration to uh, these foundations um, is, is, is intellectually lazy um, and can leave students with something short of, of a fully balanced, comprehensive liberal education. Mm-hmm. I, w- in, when there was a lot of upheaval on college campuses and, and in education in the 60s and 70s, um, the intellectuals motivating that upheaval or, or these really, uh, really revolutionary ideas but, but across all sorts of disciplines um, regarding, say, economic distribution and culture and, and race, all different factors, most of those intellectuals, or pretty much all those intellectuals, were steeped in the Western intellectual tradition. They right. had to know it in order to reject it. Right. Um, and now there are many students on universities that are learning the ideas and methods of that generation of scholars, sort of the revolutionary generation of the 60s and 70s, but aren't getting the same knowledge and familiarity of the Western intellectual tradition that their predecessors did. Um, and in doing so, may be uh, less aware of the potential uh, shortcomings or, or potential flaws that their uh, intellectual predecessors may have had. So bringing back some of the scholarship of those predecessors clearly is a, is a crucial task uh, and one that you're undertaking now at Williams. Uh, so let's go back a little bit into the formation of your group and uh, your predecessor on comfortable learning. Sure. Uh, so Zachary Wood. Um, was a, uh, a student on campus who um, was very successful in raising awareness about the issue of uh, specifically campus free speech um, and what kinds of ideas, uh, controversial ideas, uh, would be tolerated and, and or uh, accepted or uh, maybe welcomed at Williams. Um, and so he brought a series of speakers who were founded by outside alumni um, who gave... Uh, provocative speeches on various topics that are controversial. Um, uh, Suzanne Venker, um, a, a number of speakers who came in and spoke on topics like, like feminism, uh, race, and, and class, and so forth. Uh, Charles Murray was brought in at one point. One of the writers who I respect, who I often disagree with, uh, who talks about these issues is Aaron Hamlin. He's a professor at Colby right now. Um, and he talks about how there should be a bit of a bit more regulation around how we select campus speakers. I do want to be fair to administrations who want to have some control over over who who comes to campus. I mean, if we're talking about people bringing provocateurs to campus, I mean, what what's your stance on this? Um, I would like to say that our organization um, has a very strong. Uh, we're operating with with, with a purpose, um, and it's not just bringing in provocateurs for the sake of provoking, for uh, stimulating some sort of uh, media uh, phenomenon or any, anything along those sure, lines. Sure, sure. Um, 
we're trying to move beyond simply raising awareness, but actually hopefully making some some tangible, substantial changes um, in academic and, and intellectual life at Williams. Um, so the premise of our group is that we can have uh, these students who come together at, at regular discussions, um, encounter ideas that they may not otherwise find in the Williams curriculum, um, the foundations of, say, conservative thought, um, have these communities where students can encounter one another and disagree with these ideas, challenge one another, support these ideas. Um, in principle, so that you're you're taking things that are very foundational. And it's not like discussing or debating public policy, right? Because um, if one person has one position on a public policy issue and the other person has another, how often do we have a conversation where someone just flips? They say, oh, I, I changed my mind, right? right. And the way I like to, to think of it is um, there's a pyramid um, on, on which just people's beliefs are built, right? And at the very top is someone's policy position. But that particular belief is rooted in much more foundational mm-hmm. and personal convictions, beliefs. I mean, and it goes back to, I mean, say a very contentious issue like abortion. <laughs> it goes back to what is human life, which is an inherently philosophical question. It's not something that can be directly settled by, by science or public policymaker. Um, and so by going back to these foundations, you can begin to understand one another, um, and especially when, when these conversations are happening around a table amongst members of the same group, uh, even though they may have very different ideas. Um, th- there's a personal element to it as well. Well, you're not going to, you obviously can't just yell at the other person. That would, that, that would be uncivil, right? <laughs> Although we want to sometimes. Yeah. So, so to that end of substantially improving the viewpoint diversity on campus and giving a fellow Williams students a window into those fundamental ideological philosophical differences that do culminate in the kind of policy differences that we like to, to argue and throw mud at each other over. Um, what kind of success are you seeing in actually making a difference on campus? Right. I've had a number um, of students who, after having conversations with them, either and, and, and these aren't necessarily conversations that always happen at our meetings. Um, I think what still to date the greatest contribution of our group to campus is its mere existence. <laughs> is is that there is a presence and it's on, and it's funded, right? Right. Yeah. That right. that is supported and, and mm-hmm. promoted on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, brings to life, say a conservative perspective at a time when even the word conservative as currently understood in contemporary political thought and, and social life is, is, is so, uh, <laughs> is not what it was originally intended to be. Yeah, um, t- to put a face to it on campus has been, has been a great success. Mm-hmm. And the best part for me has been having conversations with, with friends or, or folks that I know on campus who said, I, I really don't agree with you but I kind of get what you're saying <laughs> or I get where you're coming from. And that, and I that think is that, such a breakthrough. Right, right. Let's be honest. A lot of people, when they think of the word conservative, immediately go to uh, immoral. Something is wrong with you if you're conservative. But now that they have a window, uh, it sounds like that's, yeah. So um, what, a, what a great way to sort of define the success that you're having on campus um, just in that one small breakthrough. Right, right. Yeah, and... Uh, so you may have different perspectives on a particular issue or, or topic, 
Um, if you're just bringing in a speaker who's going to take the most radical interpretation of those views on a policy issue, I, you can't expect the students on campus, if they've never even encountered anything in this stream of, of thought before, to have any sense of understanding what's going on, right? But if you go back to the basics and explain how um, your particular views have been shaped by uh, your family experiences, your your personal experiences, your 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 uh, religious formation, your educational experience, your travel, whatever it may be, it, it, it introduces a, a human element mm-hmm. and, into the discussion. Right. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd love to see more um, political discourse, public policy discourse in America uh, to be more rooted in um, sort of the foundational views, which I know is a very idealist thing to say, <laughs> right? It's hard to imagine uh, uh, the folks that we read about in the news going into Congress and uh, talking about political philosophy. Um, but I, to be fair, that, that, is, that is what government was meant to be. And, and historically, at certain points, has been that. So um, do you think Trump has read uh, The Republic? I, I don't think so. And, and in <laughs> fact, you know, that, that brings to mind another thing that I think about often. It's, it's uh, um, what, what I like to call the, the crisis of, of leadership. <laughs> crisis, of, <laughs> crisis of American leadership that we so have in our anodyne. country. But, it, but it's not specific to any, uh-huh. any one individual or anything like that. I think it's... Uh, a uh, a broader national, cultural, social failing yeah. um, that that affects generations of folks, mm-hmm. um, and I think liberal education is the answer to this. Mm-hmm. And and so to to put a finer point on that, um, when we think of great leaders in American history, um, Abraham Lincoln always comes to mind, right? <laughs> any president at any State of the Union address can go out and quote Abraham Lincoln, sure, and sure. anyone will be on board with it, right? Um, so he, he was a great leader. Um, yeah. And and the story we all know is you know, raised in a log cabin, right? Yeah. Um, but we can't forget what, what he did in that log cabin, which is he essentially educated himself with the, the classical works, with, with scripture, um, the foundations of, of the Western intellectual tradition. And um, if you read his his speeches and um, his, his works and, and transcripts, you can see how much of his his worldview and 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 how much of his personal statements were were imbued with um, the legacy of classical thought of uh, of the foundational Western texts. And there's no doubt in my mind that his ability to uh, to re- save and, and redeem this nation, to, to unify this nation, to lead us through a terrible crisis, um, was influenced by his formation in that intellectual tradition. Um, in contemporary society, if we look at the uh, individuals who have a tremendous amount of power and influence, um, um, and this means in, in business or politics and, and so forth, um, they don't always have the same formation in in liberal education. For example, um, uh, Jeff Bezos at, at Amazon, his educational background was uh, mechanical engineering at Princeton. Really? Okay. Right. And now uh, Mr. Bezos, due to various uh, improvements in, in technology and, and the economy, uh, has amassed a tremendous amount of wealth and also is the leader of this very important uh, corporation, uh, not just in one nation, but but around the world, really, he, he's, right. he's he's a world leader in that regard. Sure, maybe even more powerful than 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 most world leaders, um, by virtue of of uh, of Amazon. 
and um, his intellectual formation was mechanical engineering. So how can we expect him to view the world as anything more than an, another science project, an, another another instance of 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 designing things, of constantly tinkering with things, and and you know it's 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 not I'm, that's not to say that someone with that kind of background can't be liberally educated or or, or make great decisions. Obviously, that's not the case. Um, but I think our our world and our leadership would be better off by having. Um, better formation in this regard. I mean, and the same can be said. I think the current president has been um, uh, critiqued at times for being a bit transactional. Um, and, and how could you expect otherwise? Mental Wharton. <laughs> well, sitting here in Vietnam, this question about the relationship between culture and leadership and virtue, I know it's a little bit unfair to, uh, to ask you to judge the country and having only been here for about 36 hours, but do you have any first impressions? Uh, to this point, I've really been marveling at the traffic mostly, <laughs> and I, I must admit I haven't put a tremendous amount of thought into the, the underlying structures. Sure. Um, that being said, it, I mean, I think being at, at, at Bedrock too, um, the fact that there are um, many students who are extremely high achieving. Um, who they themselves and, and their families would like them to be educated in the United States where um, where free inquiry and, and liberal education is more prevailing uh, is, is certainly an indicator right of, of a desire for a pl- uh, the, the ability to to express intellectual curiosity and, and, and explore new things that um, you know might not be might not be satisfied in, in this particular environment. I want to ask you about the future of Williams Society for Conservative Thought. Yes. What do you have in store for uh, the rest of your sophomore year and uh, into the future? Right. So for the the remainder of this sophomore year, um, we really want to focus um, and on investing our 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 our, uh, our time and our, and our resources into uh, into developing a really robust and uh, consistently. Um, organized and, and promoted uh, discussion groups on campus on on a weekly basis um, as I've said you know, the conversations the personal encounters are are the most fulfilling most satisfying part of, of running this operation on campus um, and I think uh, you know making put, pouring even more resources and and uh, personal investment to those is, is going to be the best way to to, to make a change and and you know, uh, hosting these these big public events on campus is great, but ultimately, an event is usually one off. Mm-hmm. You know, and once the speaker leaves campus, it's very easy to just sort of say, "Well, that was that. Yeah. Now my life continues." Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to a weekly reading group, a weekly discussion group, you're forming ongoing relationships. Um, you're encountering the same texts and similar conversations each week, albeit in a different form. Um, and, and I think that's truly the best format to uh, to begin to, to open people's minds and, and explore new ideas. Um, and then beyond that, actually, this summer, um, uh, another student in our group and, and myself are uh, planning to uh, go to the Reagan Thatcher uh, program or lecture series in uh, Anglo the Anglo American tradition of conservative thought, uh, which will be held at, at Oxford University. So, very much looking forward to that. Fantastic! That's a summer program in Oxford. Yes, yes. Uh, one month long. Uh, great, great, great opportunity. And, and as you can see, I, I have a bit of the, the travel bug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, here in Vietnam for, for a stint, back to school for the semester, and then, uh, 
and then off to off to Oxford for for another what I hope to be another neat international experience. Excellent. Just a couple more questions. Uh, any just lightning round stuff? Uh, any particular speakers on your wish list? Any particular speakers on my wish list? I would well actually. So the uh, the Chicago statement. Um, on free speech has been a really uh, hot topic on campus lately right. uh, due to a faculty position and a particular student response letter. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, okay. um, so I would say uh, Greg Lukanoff nice. or, uh, or Jonathan Haidt might be uh, in- interesting folks to, to bring and speak on this topic on campus. I, the foundation, Neither of whom are, are conservative, but... Uh, right, right. Um, Right, absolutely. But I, I think those individuals and uh, or at least the organizations that are associated with, say, Heterodox Academy or Foundations for Individual Rights and in Education are the individuals and organizations who have become the most publicly prominent um, advocates in this particular area for freedom of ex- expression, freedom of inquiry. And you um, don't have to be conservative to have deep insight into uh, the nature of conservative thought either. So I think, yeah, both of those speakers, especially Haidt with his moral foundations theory and his use of that uh, framework to look at the differences between people on the right and the left, um, I think that would be excellent for more people to understand and uh, really helps the dialogue. I, I actually gave just uh, for folks at home uh, – I lent John my copy of The Righteous Mind last night. I would encourage everybody else to read it. I'm sort of um, beating the, the righteous mind. <laughs> but the um, second question is, um, what was the second question? Ah, I won't remember. That's all right. We'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, John. Uh, it's fantastic to have you here finally in Vietnam. I hope it's not too much of a shock so far and that you get over your jet lag soon. And uh, we're looking forward to a productive uh, intellectually engaging uh, and fun time for the rest of your your time here. Sounds like a plan. Matt, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.